0: Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.
1: Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. This is John Siegley here with Don Callahan for our UNC football recruiting podcast. Don, how was the past weekend for you, man? It was pretty good. Pretty good. You know, um, other than the fact I deal with the, the flu. How about yours? It was good, and luckily, I've I've avoided the sickness that's been going around. Knock on wood, but it's it is really spreading, and especially since you got the the youngins. I'm sure your house is just not that fun when people start getting sick.
0: Yeah, well, to be honest, just my wife and I got the flu. My my kids didn't get it. Uh, there was a kid who came over and visited recently, who actually I think brought it into the house. But kids are good, so that's that's good because they're the, usually the biggest pain with all of that.
1: I bet, man. Well, hey, I wanted to go ahead and jump right into our defensive line rankings. We talked about it on our last podcast that we were going to continue kind of our ranking series, and we were going to do the defensive line today. And I am pleased to announce that we actually have a special guest for this podcast to help rank the defensive line prospects. And Don, I'm going to let you introduce him.
0: Well, it is an honor to uh, introduce this guest because this is the type of guest that uh, when he's coming to your house or your podcast for this, uh, in this example, you got to bust out the good china, you got to make sure you took a bath, you got to take out the cologne and spritz it in all the right places. And here we are, we have the, the all-powerful, wise Buck
1: Sanders. Welcome to the podcast, wow. Buck.
0: Wow, Don, uh, that was a little bit too
2: much information, I think. (laughs) Um, But I'm glad to be here with you guys. Uh, Happy to do so. Interesting topic today, so uh, whenever you're ready to jump in, I'm ready to go with you.
1: All right, sounds good. Well, the way that we've done in the past is Don and I have kind of given basically two at a time, and we've, we've rotated, but since we've got Buck here, I figured what we could do guys is just all of us start uh with our number six because there were six total prospects i believe
0: why don't we do the same thing you know we'll but we'll just rotate it so we can go i mean i'll go first if you want i'll do my my number six and then buck can do his john you can do your number six and then when we go back to number five john you go buck and then me like that
1: all right that sounds good we'll do it that way
0: yeah so let me introduce the 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 six that we're talking about chris collins is a uh, defensive end from um, Richmond, who's actually committed to North Carolina. The majority of these guys actually are, are committed to North Carolina. Rick Sandage is a defensive end slash defensive tackle from Concord, North Carolina. Jamarcus Chapman is a defensive end slash defensive tackle from Rome, Georgia. Jaleel Taylor, UNC commit defensive tackle from uh, from Georgia. Uh, Lance Ture is a defensive end from uh, New Jersey. And then Gavin Lewis, who is a defensive tackle slash defensive end from Alabama. And we did have, um, we actually increased, we didn't double it, but we increased our inputs from uh, listeners. So I'm going to give those first, and then we'll get into ours. Does that sound good to everybody?
1: Sounds good to me.
0: All right. So we have, this is John from South Carolina. His number one is Rick Sandage. Number two, Jamarcus Chapman. Number three, Chris Collins. Number four, Jaleel Taylor. Number five, Lance Ture. Number six, Gavin Lewis. Then we have John from Alexandria, Virginia. Number one, Sandage. Number two, Collins. Number three, Taylor. Number four, Chapman. Number five, Ture. Number six, Lewis. Pretty similar. And then we have uh, Dale from Waxhall, North Carolina. Number one, Sandage, number two, Chapman, number three, Collins, number four, Ture, number five, Taylor, and number six, Lewis. And then last but not least, we have, I don't have a location on this guy or a name, but number one, Jamarcus Chapman, number two, Rick Sandage, number three, Chris Collins, number four, Lance Ture, number five, Jilla Taylor, and number six, Gavin Lewis. So um, am I going first now for our guys?
1: Yeah, go ahead, Don. Start us off for this yeah. one, man.
0: All right. So very similar to the submissions, my number six is Gavin Lewis. My main thing was it, it was hard for me to kind of watch him because the majority of his clips were from the offensive line. And so and while you still can kind of take some 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 things away from that, particularly his mobility, his physicality. It's just you weren't able to see him in true defensive uh, situations. It it seemed like it was like five clips of offense and a clip of defense and then five clips of offense and a clip of defense. So it made it kind of hard for me to judge him, but he did seem to have some good mobility. Um, He's a thick player. Even though he plays defensive end in high school, uh, I really see him moving inside for sure, and it wouldn't surprise me if he was a, uh, a, a nose tackle on the college level. Buck, do you want to go with your number six? Sure. And
2: I made the mistake of uh, sending my notes to Don and John,
0: and uh, Don has read extensively for my notes. So, uh... <laughs> hey, that's, that's the smart thing to do when, when a wise man like Buck sends you his notes. You've got to read them. You've got to memorize them. You might even need to tattoo them on your arm. Yeah, you're gonna have to calm down with all that, Don. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but
1: uh, he's just so happy to have you uh, back on the podcast, Buck. I
0: am excited. I mean, I don't get to see Buck. Everyone thinks that Buck and I hang out all the time. It's, I mean, I, I might see him like once a year. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Anyway, I, I said <clears this throat> pretty much the same thing that Don
2: copied off of my notes, uh, <laughs> and and even though, and I, I went with Lewis as well at number six, and it, his film, a lot of it was on offense. And unless I, my old aged eyes deceived me, when they, even on defense, they played three man fronts a lot. So, you know, even then, it's hard to get a read on him in terms of his position. I, I'm with Don. I think he'll be a defensive tackle. But just based off his film, it's hard to get a read off of him. And, and so I had him at number six.
1: Well, I'm going to continue the trend. I had Lewis as number six on my list as well. No comments if I copied off of the notes that Buck sends out. But when I was watching his film, I mean Lewis, he has good size. When I was watching him on the offensive line, he's got some decent footwork, which can translate to the defensive line, like you mentioned, Don. Lewis, though, he needs to get a lot lower when he's attacking. I mean, you can kind of just tell that he, he's not really the type of guy that's been playing defensive line for a long time. He doesn't really show much in the way of techniques, doesn't really get his pad level where it needs to be if he's playing on the defense, but he's got that frame where I agree with you guys, he can definitely play at the defensive tackle spot, but just I think because of how raw he was, and like Buck said, just the kind of lack of film, I had him at number six as well. And then to get started then on the five spots, I had as my number five, Lancine terre that seemed to be a theme amongst the submissions that we had from our listeners. I think most of them had some combination of Teray and Lewis at five and six. With Teray, I think you saw a lot of similar, I guess you can call them issues with Lewis in the sense that Teray has a lot of raw potential. He's got a very high motor. He was pretty flexible whenever he was, you know, trying to get around the edge and just move up and down the field. I did think though that Ture really needs to improve his strength and he needs to fill out his frame. Now, Dom can correct me when it comes around to his turn, but I know Ture is listed as a defensive end, but I thought that with his frame, he might honestly grow out of the defensive end position. And frankly, I don't know if he has the speed really to play that edge rush. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on this when you talk about him. I thought maybe he could play at a rush defensive tackle. But regardless, though, I had Tarray at number five on my list.
2: Well, jumping in, which I think is my spot, again, uh, John has cribbed off my notes. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I don't know about him becoming a defensive tackle because, you know, he would have to become two of the person that he is, I think, to become defensive tackle. He would have to get a lot more size and strength to play on the interior, I think. I think he pursues well. He does a good job of figuring out which way to go off the line, taking the the path of uh, least resistance. But I had him at number five as well as John did. So you're up, Don.
0: All right. So I have Lance Turay at number five because Buck did.
1: Just <laughs> admit it. <laughs>
0: no. It, <laughs> no. In actuality, I really struggled between my number five and num- my number four guy. I. I and I'll get to that once I get to my number 4 since I'm up next after this anyway but felt the same way that you guys mentioned he has he has a, a tremendous frame i mean he looks like you want them to look other than he does need to to add the weight as john mentioned i agree with what buck's saying is just he would have to gain so much weight to move inside because of his height i mean he's listed as at 65 uh, 240 pounds. So at 6'5", I mean, he's going to have to really kind of get up there to move inside, but I don't think that he has a speed for the rush end. I I think he's more of a power end guy, Um, but, you know, he has the length. I mean, he's, you know, real long-limbed, moves really well. He does need to work on his technique, but, you know, he's quick twitch, and, uh, I mean, he's he's still kind of growing into his body, but um, I think that he has a very, very high ceiling, and I really think he has a higher ceiling – Athletically, than my my next guy, which I'll just get right into, Chris Collins. I, you know, obviously they're both are mm-hmm. defensive ends. The reason why I went with Chris Collins over Teray is because because I think that that Teray has better tools, but I know from talking to people around his program, his head coach and um, his assistant coaches and everything like that that. Collins has a tremendous work ethic. He used to practice with the the football team when he was in middle school, mostly because his dad's a defensive coordinator on um at Benedictine High School, which is another reason why I, I decided to put him above Tore, is that he knows what it what it takes to be a good player. He knows what you have to do outside of practice um, because his dad's a coach. His mom's also a coach. She's a woman's basketball coach, a head basketball coach. Um, I can't remember where. And I think that Those sort of influences will only help him when he gets to college and understanding and being ahead of the curve compared to other incoming freshmen because he knows what to expect. On the field, his biggest asset is his length. I mean, he's super long. He's very raw, but um, he has tools to kind of develop, and he obviously has the intelligence, the work ethic and the, the coaching background. So I'll just swing it back to Buck for his number four. I went a different route than Don did at uh,
2: number four. I, I picked Taylor at number four. And, and I, like, I like Taylor a lot. It's, I don't know when you get to this area whether sometimes you're talking about a uh, difference without a distinction in some cases. But he's a guy that has, he played as a true n- nose tackle in high school. I mean, this is a guy who knows his position and knows what it is, knows what he's being brought in for. He's a run-clogger, run but he still hustles after the play. If the play goes outside, he'll run down plays if he can. Uh, he's disruptive up the middle, and uh, as pretty much everybody has said about him that's watched his tape, uh, and I have get some comments off of the Tar Pit premium message board, and he's very disruptive because of his uh, a really good first step. So um, I had uh, Taylor at number four. And, John, I'm listening to your – I'm waiting for your expertise because you, you continue to impress me with all this pads too low. Just tremendous Donde's insight. John really good to come I'm up good. with. He does. He does excellent. I'm, it just impresses me. I never knew he had it in. But he does, apparently. So uh, you're up, John.
1: Well, I, I appreciate it. I've had the, you know, uh, been in a fortunate position to talk to a lot of guys who really know their stuff even way more than I do, like Jason and Mike and all those guys. So, but, you know, I appreciate it, Buck. For my number four guy, though, I went a little bit on a different path. I went with Jamarcus Chapman actually at number four. Um, that may be a little bit of a surprise, but when I was watching Chapman's film, I mean, first off, you can tell that he's got a lot of raw athleticism. He's got quick feet. He does a really good job of pursuing the play. But I put him at number four because I thought that he really needed to improve on his hands and his technique, especially if he's going to try to play a defensive end. I felt that he also needed to get a lot stronger because his film actually did, I thought, a good job of not only showing his highlight plays, but they showed a lot of plays where he, he kind of, they tried to make it look like he had kind of, I hate to say it, but done a whole lot on a play when really he just kind of cleaned up what his defensive line had done already elsewhere. So there were were a lot of plays where like he would get a tackle for loss, but it was kind of like a half tackle for loss or he'd get a half sack because the quarterback or the running back had kind of been forced into him. Um, Chapman used just a straight bull rush a lot of the time. I don't think I saw him do like a spin move or really dip his shoulder too much at all. He mainly just seemed to know that he, in you know, nine times out of 10 at the high school level, he was just quicker, bigger, faster than the guy across the way from him. And so he would just use that. So I think if he's going to continue to play at a high level in college, he's going to need a lot of work to learn how to harness that athleticism and actually, you know, develop into that defensive end. I I don't know which side of the line I would see him on at defensive end, whether a rush or, like you said earlier, Don, maybe a power DE, like you said for Teray. I think he's kind of in in an in between, and it really just depends on how he develops once he gets to college. But I had Chapman is my number four, and I guess then I'll go with my number three, and I put the I put Chris Collins there. Am I? third spot so halfway through and chris was a guy that the biggest asset that stood off the page to me was his speed he also really did a good job of bringing guys down when he made a tackle he did a, he did a really good job of actually finishing the play you know that may be just a byproduct of playing in high school but it's nevertheless good to see that you know if he gets his hands on someone he can actually go ahead and finish him off i thought that he needed to also improve his hands a lot and the one of the things that I kind of questioned about Collins is his frame I thought he might have had the smallest just frame out of all these guys in terms of shoulders and you know ability to put on weight so I thought that maybe he could translate to like an outside linebacker possibly but if not I see him as probably the best example of a rush DE out of all these guys so Chris was my number three and uh, Buck, I'll punt it back to you for your third spot.
2: Yeah, uh, Collins was my number three, too, uh, although I differed dramatically with you on Chapman, but we'll get back to that in a minute. Um, you know, one of the things that even at the high school level now that they're constantly trying to teach uh, DEs is, you know, when to bend and go down the line. And, and when not to, when to try to take it outside. And I think he did a, on tape, did a good job of uh, choosing which of those things to do. The thing about Collins is that there was a lot of uh, tape on him as an offensive player, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, factors into what John was talking about in terms of his speed. He showed good speed on, especially on those offensive plays. But he also showed really good ball skills. Uh, in terms of being able to tip a ball, I think he tipped one and intercepted it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and and I think he's a very instinctual player. Obviously, he needs to get bigger and stronger. And one of the thoughts that came to my mind is that for all the years that Vic Conan was trying to recruit a bandit player for the bandit position that, uh, you know, in his four-two-five defense, Collins would have been the perfect fit for that guy. But anyway, I had him at my number three. Uh, and, you know, I think I think he'll be a very good player for North Carolina. I don't think it'll be next year, but I think he has a lot of
0: promise. All right, I guess I'll go with my number three, which I think is going to surprise some people. Rick Sandage, which if you look at the rankings, is obviously, I'm not, I guess, with those rankings too much. He has great, unbelievable size. I mean, probably the best size of of anybody on this list. 6'5", 290 pounds very athletic for that size, Um, long arms. He's not, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of fat, you know, so he has great size, moves really well. He's great at pursuing the play away from him. The thing is, is I just, the, the intangibles kind of worry me with him. Um, He, he's a little inconsistent. He'll make an unbelievable play. You know, there's one play where he blows up a blocker and then just blows up the ball carrier. And then you'll watch other plays and he's just, doesn't do a whole lot. Um, and then I just worry about, um, just his, you know, his, his football IQ. Um, he seems to kind of be more of, you know, he doesn't have instincts and doesn't seem to sometimes know where to be. And he's just kind of doing stuff because he's so much bigger than everybody else. Uh, but he does, if, if, you know, the, the light switch goes on for him, he has everything that you want from an athletic standpoint, from a, from a, Uh, build standpoint I mean he's he's as pretty as they come for for a defensive lineman I mean he could he could play really up and down the line I think he's a three technique but he could Mm. he could he could really play up and down the line he's one of the few D linemen that could do that so I guess I'll go with my number two and this is a guy that I really 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 like on film loved him on film the first time I saw him is Julio Taylor, which which you guys have already talked about. I think he's a nose guard. And I think that the fact that he's a nose guard kind of he's, – he's only a nose guard. I mean, he could probably play a three technique in a, in a pinch. But for the most part, if you're recruiting him, you're recruiting him because you want him as a nose guard. And I think that kind of hurt him a little bit um, in, in the recruiting. And, you know, he's listed at 6'1", 290 pounds. But from my experiences, when someone's listed at 6'1", they're probably closer to 5'11". And so I'm sure some schools – probably took a look at him gave him the eye test and was like oh man you know if he was a couple inches taller we would we would go on him but as buck mentioned before i mean the thing that just stands out to me is his first step is unreal and it gives him it's such an asset it's one of those things that's just that that you know it's not i, I don't want to say it's never talked about but it's it's not appreciated as much for defensive alignment, particularly interior d- defensive alignment because if you can get into your gap before the offensive line is adequately out of their stance. I mean, you are you are at a huge advantage and you can disrupt a lot of plays and it really can be an equalizer if you're going up against an offensive lineman who is far superior, bigger, stronger. If you are, are attacking your gap before, the offensive lineman has a chance to really respond. And I, I think he's a kid who, um, uh, who who's going to be productive in college. He was very productive in high school and i see that continuing so i'll just pass the ball back to buck
2: yeah and uh uh, like don my second selection is probably also a little bit uh not consistent with their rankings at least as don mentioned but i had sandage at my number two spot one reason that i did is because the film is not helpful at all it's if you watch Sandage's film, it, you, there's just not a lot you can get out of it. You can, you know, see that, yes, he's he's disruptive, he plays to the whistle, things like that. And I, I will say, you know, also Don mentioned that he could play up and down the line. He did in high school. They, they moved him around from the, you know, the left side to the right side, and they played him in the interior. I don't know if they were doing that to take advantage of matchups in high school. If I was a high school coach, I would, if I, if I knew where the weak spot on the offensive line was, that's where I would put that guy. Uh, or and maybe it's just a sign of his versatility. He's, he's capable of you know, playing multiple positions, but I, I had Sandage at my number two. If I was going with some combination of rankings and in fact, I probably had him as my number two based on just based on how highly he's ranked. I felt a little bit bad about dropping him to number two, but uh, Don made me feel better. Uh, That's what about I'm here for. That, so, but he,
0: yeah. I'm here for emotional <laughs> well, support for Buck I, Sanders.
1: Well, uh, uh, so I had, had Sandage at number two. Well, I, I copied you on this one, Buck. I had Sandage at number two as well. And the positives. <laughs> that I had for him was that he's quick, that he's very, very aggressive. I liked that, that he probably out of all the guys on the list just got after plays, I, I felt like the hardest. So I really like that from him. He does have the size, like Don said, to play all over. Actually, I'd written down that I wasn't sure if he was going to play defensive tackle or defensive end in college just because I think he could really play either or. I think Don's correct that he probably is is a three technique ultimately, but that versatility is very big. The downside I thought though to Sandage was if you watched the film where he was doing the one-on-one drills from the, I think it was the opening. He really needs to improve his balance when he was getting leverage. He knows that, you know, low man wins. He did a really good job of trying to get his hands up under the pads of the offensive linemen in those drill plays. However, when he would do that, I, I'm not sure if it was a flexibility or just a strength thing. But a lot of the time he would try to get the leverage, but the offensive lineman then would get his hands on him and be able to basically cause Rick to 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 um to really stumble. Like he would bend down on a couple of those plays. And I think that just might be a strength thing that hopefully will improve in college. But I felt that he really needed to get better on his balance. So that way he could prevent that and also really disengage. So when he gets up in there to get that, that pad to get his hands on the inside, you know, he's really got to learn to kind of make that first real big push and then get around him. So he doesn't quite have that technique right now, but you can just tell that like Don said, if he gets it all together, he can really be a really good defensive line player. Um, and so I'll go now to my number one spot. And this is probably going to be a big time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, this is going to be, I'm sure, a shock to a lot of people. But my number one out of all the film was Jalil Taylor. Wow. And, that, uh,
0: I, like, yeah. I like the pick. I like the pick. It's definitely surprising, though.
1: Well, it is surprising, and I think it's—I don't know if maybe people that have watched his film, maybe they haven't seen the senior highlights, or like you said, Don, maybe they're scared because of his size. But out of all these guys, Taylor is the one that if you said, where is he going to play right now, the answer is nose tackle. Like, he has a position. It's nose tackle. He's not going to play anywhere else. But his first step, man— that was so disruptive, you know, and, and maybe that's, you know, a result of his high school, you know, maybe not having the best of athletes are going against him, but I view that first step as something that you can't teach. I mean, you've either got it or you don't. And a couple of the times, if you watch his senior film, I mean, he's in the backfield at the same time the ball is getting to the quarterback. And I think the officials kind of maybe thought it was an offsides or, something just because of how quick he is able to get back there. He also does a really good job of using his leverage. He's on the short side. I agree with Don. If he's listed at six foot, he's probably 5'11", but he uses that to his advantage. He's really, really good with his hands, and unlike what I saw out of Sandage when Sandage tried to go low and get that leverage, when Taylor did it, he's just such a big enough kid that he's able to actually use that and he can either push the offensive linemen back or he can kind of move them to, you know, and that's what you want to have a nose tackle. You want a guy who's just going to eat up space, and if he can get in the backfield and and disrupt plays, it's even better. But I see Taylor as being a kid that once he gets into a college weight program, once they help shed some of that, you know, just kind of the, the fat off of him and get him to be a little bit leaner, a little bit meaner, I'm really excited to see what he can do at nose tackle moving forward. So it's going to be a surprise to a lot of people, but I had Taylor is my number one.
0: All right, we got Drummond for Buck. Yep. Uh,
2: I went with Chapman at my number one spot. The thing about Chapman is I thought he, you know, regardless of hands, you know, the object of the game is to get off blocks. And, And I think he gets off his blocks really well. He doesn't get caught up in traffic, and he's a smart player. You can see some plays when he was playing defensive end. The offense was obviously trying to persuade the defense that they were going in one direction, but they were really coming back in the other. Uh, instead of you know chasing that, he would stay at home. I think it's probably his natural position his strong side defensive end, but he's somebody else that could play three technique down the road if he gets bigger. So he's got a couple of positions there. I think he's got good feet. He's got good quickness. And I think he's got a good motor. So that's why I put Chapman at my number one.
0: All right. Another drum roll. Uh, All right. We do, we do a terrible job imitating a drum roll, by the way. Yeah, that make, that's what makes it fun. All right. So I'm just going to echo Buck's choice because that's what I do. I went to Marcus Chapman. I agree with John about the hand usage. But the thing that I like that even though because he can develop that, I mean it's it's a little bit harder to kind of break those habits, but he, they can be broken and he can um, learn how to use his hands a little bit better. But the thing I, that I liked was that he would take on blocks, and even though he's taking on blocks, he was still gaining ground, and 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 I really like that about him, you know, because uh, a lot of guys will, they'll take the block, they'll just especially in high school, and they'll just kind of be flat footed before they get rid of the uh the blocker and then go to the to the ball carrier but he was he was still gaining ground then disposing of the blocker and then going to the ball carrier you know I I think he's you know he was really quick twitch particularly in the tackle box you know he's not a a speed guy but he makes sudden movements really quickly to to get to where he needs to get he's very scrappy in the trenches he played mostly defensive end on film but I see him as a three technique now I, I think he could play defensive end or even even nose guard if 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 needed but i just feel like the three technique is his best position will take take advantage of his agility will take advantage of his ability to kind of work and maneuver within the tackle box in traffic and that sort of thing so i guess that wraps up our um defensive line recruiting i'm thinking what do you guys think next week we do
1: db's we can who's sure. still on the uncommitted list as far there, as defensive backs
0: well that's the thing there aren't any so and there's <laughs> there's but there are four unc commits so i'm thinking we can rank those what do you think so that would yeah. be yeah i'm good with that yeah, all right so so I'll, here i'll i'll list them off for the listeners we had four submissions four plus buck so buck i think multiplies it by 5 right submissions this week um, so we wasn't improving from last week. We didn't double it or triple it. Actually, we didn't triple it like we did the week before. So let's hope that we can get those numbers up. So hopefully we get some more submissions for next week. So the four defensive backs are Trey Morrison from North Cross, Georgia. DeAndre Holland from Tampa, Florida. Bryson Richardson from Buford, Georgia. And Javon Terry from Wake Forest, North Carolina. I think it will be pretty interesting because they're all three of them are are different types of defensive backs. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see um, where everybody ranks them.
1: All right, that sounds good.
0: Don, Don, would you also post links like you did? Yes, uh, I'll to do that. Their film. Yeah, I'll post it into the the thread for this podcast. I put link, uh, I'll put links. up post links to their their film. All good right, deal. sounds good.
1: To you guys. I'm in. All right, Buck. We're gonna we're gonna hold you to it. No trying to, you know, squirrel out of this one. And you know, you can go and send us your notes, though. And and Don and I totally will <laughs> yeah, not copy. Yes, so, so I'll
2: make sure my I notes make sure myself. <laughs> I'm keeping my notes to myself
1: this time. Oh, I used
2: all my thunder before it came back to me.
1: Promise, we didn't. Not not too much, anyways. But we'll go ahead and take a commercial break now. When we get back, everyone, we are going to be talking with Don about the big junior day recruit list that's coming up and then we will close the podcast out with some thoughts on the remaining uncommitted prospects in 2018 class so we'll be right back after this and we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast Don Callahan here with John Siegley Um, unfortunately Buck had to go ahead and leave you know had to take that Inside Carolina helicopter off to the next big time meeting I guess Don
0: Oh yeah I mean I wish uh wish
1: we got helicopters, I uh, know, maybe someday, man, but as I mentioned before we went to break, I did wanted to get your your thoughts on the junior day recruit list that's coming up, I believe is it this Saturday dawn, correct
0: yeah, yeah, this Saturday, yeah, right. I mean it's this is actually going to serve as North Carolina's big junior day, and the reason that is is that um typically actually every year that coach Fedora has been the head coach of North Carolina, the big junior day was held on the same day that UNC's basketball team played Duke. But the unfortunate thing about the recruiting calendar this year, that the UNC and Duke basketball game, when they play in Chapel Hill, actually occurs during a dead period. So North Carolina can't host any recruits that day. So they decided, next, what's the next best opponent? NC State. And it just so happens to be a noon game on a Saturday afternoon, which works out perfect. And so that's what they're doing. They try to invite all of their top recruits um, in-state. And there's a couple of out-of-state guys sprinkled in. But really, they wanted to make sure that they took care of the top in-state recruits. So they all received invites. And the majority of them are coming, including the top recruit, by far, You know, the consensus number one in the state, Quavaris Crouch, who, for those who haven't got Caught up on the 2019 recruits yet? Pavaris Crouch is this year's Zamir White. He's a five-star kid. He actually might be a more highly recruited recruit than Zamir White, if you can believe that. Uh, just because of the fact that um, he's an unreal running back, but he's also an unreal defensive player. I mean, he's going to be recruited from coast to coast, and and it's going to be a pretty crazy recruitment. But there's also a bunch of. Really good players, a bunch of four-stars. There's a UNC commit that's going to be there. Um, some out-of-state targets also. I'm just going to ask you, John, when you got a chance to look at that list, what was a couple of items that stood out to you?
1: So there is the name that you would expect to pronounce, like Coffrey Brown, the younger brother of current UNC commit, Diami Brown. But I thought that it was very cool to see C.J. Clark on there. He's a defensive tackle that I've had my eye on, I think, he can really be a very highly rated recruit. He's already a four-star, but honestly, I think his ranking might even go up during the year. So it was really good to see him on the list. I thought that the four-star quarterback, Sam Howell, out of Monroe, North Carolina, I think he might be someone to definitely keep an eye on as well as far as in-state guys go. And then as far as you mentioned on, you know, getting some highly rated recruits from outside of North Carolina, Lewis Seen, the safety out of Massachusetts. He's slated to be there. He's a four-star kid. There's also Ramir Johnson, who's a running back out of New Jersey. Again, another four-star. So you can kind of see that there's a bit of a pattern where for this junior day, the staff really seemed to put the emphasis on getting in the highest-rated guys that they could possibly get.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and just as I mentioned, I mean that's by design because this is going to be their big junior day. They'll have other junior days, and there will be big recruits at those other junior days. But this is the one where they're trying to get as much bang out of one day as possible. And the way you do that is you invite all of those guys there. UNC obviously has the advantage of a great basketball program that's that's uh, known throughout the nation. So when you say, "Hey, do you want to want some free UNC basketball tickets?" especially if it's against an ACC opponent like NC State. A lot of kids are going to jump at
1: that. Then the atmosphere should be really good in the Dean Dome as well. Four <laughs> game against NC State. Uh, Coach Roy Williams of the, on the basketball side always seems to really put a lot of emphasis on the NC State game. So hopefully the atmosphere is is really good. The team responds and these football guys can really see what it means to you know be in Chapel Hill for a big time game day. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in over the weekend. Everyone stay tuned. I'm sure, Don, that you will have some updates after the weekend. So stay tuned to Inside Carolina for that, especially the Tar Pit Premium Message Board. And, you know, Don, I figured we could could close this one out talking about the 2018 class. You gave a little bit of a tease before we went to break, but you posted the story about Dax Holyfield. For those that may not know who Dax is, in case this is your very first podcast with us, Dax is a four-star linebacker out of North Carolina. He is probably one of the highest-rated guys left on the football recruit board at this point, and he's someone that a lot of UNC fans have really gotten invested in. Personally, I thought that Carolina was running third in this recruitment behind the other final two schools on his list, which are Stanford and Virginia Tech. But it sounds like, Don, from the story that you ran, he's really still very much up in the air on where he's going to commit to. So that was surprising to me.
0: Yeah, and I think he summed it up best. The thing about Dax that, that I love now, you know, I guess I should give a little disclaimer. I've known Dax for a very long time. I've known his family for probably almost 20 years. So I do have a different relationship, but I I don't think I have much different relationship than what others have with Dax just because he's such a personable kid. And I think he summed it up nicely when he said that he basically was waiting for something to kind of just jump out at him and make him feel like, okay, this is the school. And he waited, 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 waited. And here we are in mid to late January, and that still hasn't happened. And now he's frustrated because he's like, I can see myself at all three of those schools. And and when he says that, and usually when a recruit says that to me, I feel like he's not being completely honest with either me or himself. But with Dax, I honestly feel like he feels that way. And I think that with all three of those schools, there is at least one aspect that he truly likes. With Stanford, he absolutely loves the education that it offers. And he loves the fact that after his football playing career is over, Stanford's going to set him up for life. They also like that area, you know, not just on campus, but going around Palo Alto. Both him and his parents have said to me that the area is just very, very unique, and and they they just love it. Now, with Virginia Tech, the main pull is well, one is the game day atmosphere. Although I feel like that that has kind of dropped down a little bit on his list of uh, of needs. But what I think the real pull with Virginia Tech is the Hokies' defensive coordinator, Bud Foster. Not only is he legendary, and he clearly, if we're being objective about this, between the three schools, he's the best defensive coordinator. But he's taken such a personal interest in Dax, and Dax feels like he kind of owes Foster for that. You know, Foster's always around. He was actually, when I actually did this interview, I went to Dax's basketball game, and Bud Foster and six other Virginia Tech coaches were were there and from my understanding that has been the case for the past few weeks so that's the attraction with virginia tech with north carolina he has a lot of ties to north carolina obviously it's the in state flagship school that's the main thing his mom went to north carolina the majority of his family are huge north carolina fans he obviously will be representing his home state his family won't have any problem seeing him they also won't have a whole big it won't be all that difficult to see him at virginia tech either so that's all kind of a pull. People have mentioned on the message board about his girlfriend. And so his girlfriend is hoping to get into North Carolina. That's obviously in there, although I hope it's not as high as some of the other things. He, <laughs> likes, he likes Coach Brewer a lot. So with all that said, for a while there, if you would have asked me where he was leaning, I would have probably said Stanford or Virginia Tech. And probably if you asked me a couple of weeks ago, I probably would have said Stanford. Now I think that him and his family are starting to realize that that distance is, is going to be tough. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's one thing to kind of take a trip somewhere and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to this new place. You know, that, what is it? Five or six hour plane ride. Um, yeah, not that big of a deal, but when you start to think, okay, if I go to North Carolina or if I go to Virginia tech. My parents and my immediate family, who I'm very, very close to, can watch me play every single game. If I go to Stanford, that's not going to happen. They'll be able to come to big games and games here and there, but it won't be, it won't be every Saturday. And mostly because of just you know the, the distance, but also his dad's a basketball coach. Um, his dad's a, a, actually an assistant football coach. So he has other obligations that make it difficult for him to take a full day to travel. And then also, obviously, just the overall travel, even for someone who doesn't have those sort of obligations. So I think that that's starting to wear on them. And to be honest, I, I just, I feel like now, I don't, I feel like he was going to decide today it wouldn't be North Carolina. But I feel like the way that this is trending, that it it's going to end up being North Carolina. That's how I feel today. And the reason being is his game plan right now, and obviously this is all subject to change, is he's already had his in-home visit with David Shaw. That was last week. He's going to have an in-home visit with Virginia Tech, not this Thursday, the following Thursday. Then he has a basketball game on Friday. And then that following Saturday, Coach Fedora is going to come in for his in-home visit. And it won't just be Coach Fedora. It'll be basically the entire coaching staff. And that will likely be the last recruiting event that will take place prior to signing day for for Dax. And he told me, and, and obviously, as I said, things are subject to change. His plan is to shut off his phone, and just spend a couple of days with his with his family, which not only includes his parents, includes his uncles, his um, grandparents, and they're all going to kind of help him make this decision. And I just I feel like coming off of that in-home visit for North Carolina, having so many pro-North Carolina people in his family, I feel like that's going to help North Carolina and might be able to break that tie and give North Carolina just the slightest edge so that on signing day, that's that's where he ends up signing.
1: Got a couple thoughts. Number one, you mentioned that at the basketball game, Bud Foster was there with the coaches. Were there any UNC coaches present at that one, Don?
0: There was. Um, Gunnar Brewer was there. He he, He was the only one. So just to give a little bit of background, from my understanding, and I don't cover Virginia Tech recruiting, so I don't know as well as someone who does, but from what I've been told is that Dax might be the only or he's one of the very few... 2018 recruits of Virginia Tech is recruiting. So with the new early signing period, what that has allowed Virginia Tech to do is every single week, send a boatload of coaches to Shelby, North Carolina for the maximum impact. Now with North North Carolina, as we know, I think it's about, I think at last count, it was nine 2018 recruits that North Carolina is actively recruiting. So that puts UNC at a little bit of disadvantage because Coach Brewer won't be able to say, Hey, JP, John Papuchis, come with me to Shelby when Papuchas has to go see Jamarcus Chapman and has to go see uh, Gavin Lewis and Rick Sandage and, and all that sort of stuff. So it, it does put North Carolina at, at a little bit of a disadvantage. Now, the good thing is, is that if you want just one guy going into a home, that one guy, and, and this is my my personal opinion based off of what I've heard from talking to parents, talking to coaches, talking to recruits. My one guy would be Gunnar Brewer, and so while it seems like North Carolina is at a disadvantage, the fact that maybe it's maybe it's you know just having one coach, maybe you're not getting overwhelmed, you're not feel like you have to talk to all these different coaches, and some of them you might not know and might be a little weird. But Coach Brewer, you know because he's been recruiting your son for four years. And not only that, coach Brewer actually played college ball at Wake Forest with Dax's dad. So Brewer knows that family prior to Dax being a recruit. So, so there's a lot of familiarity there, but yes. So to answer your question, coach Brewer was there.
1: (laughs) No, that's all right. I appreciate the information. I was just going to say that, you know, one Gunter Brewer might be worth six other coaches from a lot of other programs, so the fact that Brewer was there, you know, I take that as, as a positive, and I would not worry about the fact that, that Virginia Tech had a quantity advantage in that situation. I'll take quality over quantity any day. But the final thought that I had on Dax, and we've mentioned this months ago, back when we first talked about the linebackers in this 2018 class, you talked about, Don, that Dax is, is the type of kid that he really, really is a spur of the moment or a you know flavor of the month. So mm-hmm. when he took visits to Carolina, it was oh man, I'm really feeling the, the Tar Heels. When he took visits up to Blacksburg, it was yeah, Virginia Tech is awesome. I'm sure that after he came back from Stanford, you know there was a healthy glow from being on that West Coast. It's an entirely different state. The environment's different. The atmosphere is different. The campus is different. But I got the sense that if he did not commit right after that Stanford visit, they might be on the outside looking in on this one. But you know, to be completely fair, I also thought that he would commit to Stanford, possibly on that visit or shortly thereafter. So if you had asked me beforehand who I thought he was going to end with, I would have said Stanford. Now it looks, looks like that's not going to be the case. Well, we say that, but we don't know. I think, though, that for Carolina fans, if you're looking for a positive, aside from Brewer, those relationships that you talked about, Don, the fact that Coach Fedora is going to be the last one before he goes into his own personal you know, quiet, dead period, I think that that's something that you can really hold on to as a UNC fan and remain hopeful for Carolina's chances to land Dax.
0: No, I absolutely agree. And just... For those who don't know the rules at all, and not that I know them extremely well, but uh, just a little uh, clarity. So, during this period, which is called the contact period, a college can send a coach or more to a recruit's home once per week. So, um, Virginia Tech obviously chose to send more than one, and that's fine, but they can only go that one day. And so, North Carolina for this week obviously used theirs with Coach Brewer coming in. Now, the only I guess the uh, exception with that is that you can only send your head coach in for an in-home visit once, period, during the contact period. So usually what ends up happening, and this is what happened in, in Dax's situation, is that every contact week, Gunnar Brewer has gone to Dax's home every single week. But Coach Fedora will only go in you know the weekend before signing
1: day. We'll see what happens, Don, but we've talked for a lot on this podcast already. We'll go ahead and wrap it up. Really appreciate everyone listening on this one. Stay tuned for our podcast next week to get our rankings of the defensive backs from the 2018 class. Hopefully Buck Sanders will join us again and you know, we can cheat off of his homework again, Don.
0: Yeah, make sure everybody else submits theirs. You can, I think most people are choosing to DM me on Inside Caroline Message Board. That's fine. If you prefer Twitter, you could tweet me at Don. Callahan IC on Twitter. You can just tweet me your list and I'll make sure that that we have it for the next podcast. I like it when the listeners contribute. I'm assuming John does too. So let's let's get that number up. We had five this time. Let let's let's push it above five.
1: Absolutely. And be on the lookout for the links to the recruits that Don will post on the TarPit premium message board. And until next time, everyone, have a good one. We'll talk to you guys again soon.
0: Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for
1: Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.